One Space Love podcast for the love of music, lifestyle, and well-being while caring for our planet. On this podcast, I will be chatting with musicians, artists, and creative minds that are living life on purpose while doing what they love. Welcome, Jamie, to One Space Love podcast. So beautiful to have you on the show today. <laughs> How Lovely are you? To be here. Yeah. Yes, I am good. The birds are chirping. Another day to be able to breathe the air, eat food, yeah. commune. Totally. I'm getting into a sort of, the older I get and the more insanity happens around me and on the planet, the more the simple gratitudes are so sort of luxurious, just that there's food in the fridge, petrol in the car, everyone's healthy. You know, that feels miraculous. And exactly. And my favorite time of the day is listening to the birds first thing in the morning. I'm always woken up by the birds and it just the, the gratitude just washes over me when I hear those birds singing in the morning. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Lucky you. Yeah, it's beautiful. So I, I start off, I don't know if you've heard the podcast, but I start off every show by asking, could you introduce yourself to the listeners by answering the statement, I am? I am Jamie. I am not defined as an identity by any of the things I've done. Yeah. Uh, but seeing as that kind of is helpful to have some sort of history, I guess I'm, I'm somebody who feels very passionate about just having the most positive impact on everyone and everything while I breathe. You know, that's what gives me the most fulfillment whether it be by parenting my three daughters or making things that inspire people with music and film and things like that. Mm. In Australia, I guess one of the things I'm best known for would be One Giant Leap, um, but maybe Faithless, but I, I don't really count that as something that was exactly me. Um, more recently, I made a film called Becoming Nobody, which was my tribute to Ramdas, who I adore. Mm. But I guess I spend most of my time now working with people to enhance their creativity and enhance their enjoyment and their unhindered, unapologetic experience of life, you know, which means going inside and finding all the places that we've made ourselves unwelcome or made ourselves feel ashamed or split off and buried and suppressed our beautiful qualities. And... Um, dancing them home, you know, inviting them home in a very tender, sweet, playful way. So I spend uh, a good deal of my time with groups and individuals doing what I guess to me is stating the obvious, mm. which is, yeah, that feeling you're feeling is a legitimate need that it might be showing itself in your life to be a, a disruptive or dysfunctional aspect of your life but really what it is when you stop trying to push it away when you just like be a bit more curious a bit more yin a bit more welcoming mm. usually it's a messenger of some sort of vulnerability or some sort of legitimate need that that is trying to get your attention to make you more whole you know the, this body organism is constantly in a state of self-mending not just when you scratch it or break a bone or, but actually in its psychology or its emotional wounding 
it's, it's, it's the most amazing self-mending thing. And it only needs a little bit of encouragement, a little bit of curiosity, a little bit of turning towards rather than always turning away because we, we're addicted to comfort and we don't really want edgy feelings. But if we stop looking at our edgy feelings as something's wrong and actually go, oh, you're a bit curious, hello, little matey, and be a bit friendly, it's amazing how quickly and effortlessly great shifts happen, you know, and weights are dropped and and not only does it neutralize or ease things which hurt but it actually reclaims proper treasure and intimacy and creativity and hilarity and sexuality and it's it's all just waiting to pour back in if we stop constantly just looking in the other direction and being a no you know that's mm. it really that's kind of what i do most of the time and I am a man who is also very much working or engaging with my own version of all that. You know, I carry a lot of anxiety that I wake up with a lot of times or limiting beliefs or patterning and wounding that requires quite repetitive attention, soothing, loving and uh yeah i would say that's kind of a big part of my life is is trying to remain an adult tending to myself and uh even when those other parts of me are pulling me down or pulling me away from this moment mm. to be willing to not just preach to everybody else to feel them, but to to feel them and be with them myself. How's that for an answer? It it is a beautiful answer, and I and I have really just to go back. I mean, I know you through one giant leaf leap. Um, I was introduced to you through Lee Wood, and we were looking at bringing you over to Australia. So you know that's kind of a full circle. But delving into all the parts of your journey and you've really summed it up so beautifully of your mission always seems to have um a similar thread running through it with every creative project that you've put your energy into there's a similar underlying um yeah message that comes across in all that you do and it's it's been really transparent and beautiful to witness so i i love your introduction to i am thank you great and you've really like summed up everywhere i want to go on this chat and package it up really nicely to present you to everyone because I think you are a really gifted, inspiring soul. So, um, mm, yeah. So I'm interested to, to delve a little bit back. I don't want to go too back into your journey because I really want to, like, get excited about what you're working on now and where you're going now. But going back just to help others because I, I really like to inspire people. What do we overcome? Because... I never thought I'd be doing a podcast. I have to overcome panic attacks, anxiety, self-worth, you know, to be able to sit and hold space. And I'm sure there are things you had to overcome. So going back to young Jamie, how did, you know, how did you get into music and creativity and film? What was the key points on your path that you were able to be aware of and notice to take you on those little turns? Well, yeah, I mean, I had a lot of patterning and experiences from the womb onwards, which gave me quite a lot of challenges. Um, and then 
so I did have a lot of panic attacks and stuff at quite a young age and okay. ongoing. It's like it's now my sort of expert chosen subject. Yeah. Um, and then when I was about twenty, I had quite an awakening. I don't know why. Uh, I mean, my best friend died. That was that was a big catalyst. And until it's kind of strange, like until my friend Dom died, I was very much a follower. You know, I was just wanting to fit in. I was quite late on puberty, so I was sort of scurrying along behind everyone, trying to get into the pub, and often having to trudge home by myself, and mm. and not, you know, like I, I had to. I really wanted to fit in, and then oddly, when my friend died, it kind of gave me a hall pass. Like part of inside my brain clicked. It was like, wow, this is amazing. Like I don't have to do anything. No one can. Ex Dom's just died. I can. No one can expect anything of me. Whatever I do now, everyone has to be like fine. You know, like because I've been through this heavy thing. It was like this excitement of liberation that all expectations were taken off the table for a little bit because something so heavy had happened. Mm. And I just started writing songs. I'd never really, I mean, I'd played, had piano lessons when I was little, but I just picked up a guitar, someone taught me three chords. And I just started channeling all these songs about, that just started coming through about sort of sacredness. It was kind of, I was kind and of lyrically really, coming through, Jamie. Like lyrically, yeah, yeah. I was like really inspired by this group called the Hot House Flowers, who are a wonderful from Irish. Ireland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And they also had a very sort of uh, light, positive, semi-spiritual yep. message. And I started reading these books that was like the sort of non-religious side of. Jesus-y mysticism stuff, but not like Christian, but like, you know, like non-specific, non-denominational, angelic stuff that was like really turning me on. And we would go up to Scotland, me and my friends, and take mushrooms and, and sort of look up at the stars and connect with the spirits. And we were like right on one. Mm -hmm. And uh, just started playing more and more and more music in the band I had at the time, which was called the Big Truth Band. Yes. <laughs> um, we had quite a big following quite quickly, although no one was ever going to give us a deal because, you know, we were wearing flares and waistcoats and long hair and barefoot on stage singing our sacred music <laughs> and with like four part harmonies and funky wah wah guitars at the time where everyone else was suddenly getting into house music and we, we couldn't have been more uncool if you, you tried. were way we, ahead we, of we, your time, you know? Yeah. No, way behind, I think. <laughs> No, we were like late from the 70s or the 60s. We were way like, we were just like in the wrong era. <laughs> and But the gigs were all packed all over the country and, and they'd have the A&R people from Sony and Warners and Electric and all the labels and we'd be like, we're going to get a deal and we'd like speak to them afterwards and they went, oh, no, 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 no. We're not giving you a deal. We just love your band. We just like coming because of the energy is so great, but you're not right for today's climate. You know, so we were never going to get a deal. But yeah, it was just like it was very kind of in its own way, very validating and successful to be able to get up on stage and just inspire hundreds of people to sort of jump around and feel positive. And and uh, it, for me, it was always music, 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 music. You know, until I was in my 30s, I didn't think about anything except music. And it was only when I was in Faithless that I, with my big mouth, piped up at the back of the control room 
that I thought we should do our video like this, not like that. I just started being opinionated about the videos. And so because Faithless was very much a self-managed merry band of pirates, the boss of the band, Rollo, was just like, great, here's five grand, go and do the video. You know, it was like there was no training or no, it was just like big mouth, big idea, let's go and do it. And suddenly I was the art director and video director of the band, totally accidentally. And just um, going to Faithless, because I love this story, how you actually were a teacher. And you yeah, stepped into I, your house and a phone call. Can you share this yes. story? I love this story because these are the so moments. So at the end of the big truth band, when I was like 25, I got my girlfriend pregnant and I had to <laughs> get a job, which was like, really? It felt like I had to stop doing music full time and get a job. So I got a job as an English teacher. And after about six months, I wasn't exactly fed up with it, but I was like speaking quite passionately to my then girlfriend saying like, you know what, I'm just done with this. I am ready for a bit of luck. I, but I was, I was speaking so with my full heart, you know, I really fucking meant it. Like, I am ready for some luck, yeah. for something to like come along, which really lifts things to the next level, not just one good gig and then we're back to where we were, but like something that really like lifts it to the next level. And as I was saying that, it was almost like the bit in uh, Tom Hanks's movie Big yeah. where you hear the twinkly bells and the curtain blows in the window like the spirits heard mm -hmm. because the phone was ringing as I was ranting going into the house and I picked it up and it was this guy Rollo saying, we've heard your very uncool demo. Uncool was always the word everyone would describe my output. Um, but he was like, everyone in the studio can't stop listening to it. We love it, but we just think it's the most uncool. But maybe you could come and write a song with us on this project we're doing, which is kind of a diverse da-da-da-da. And we got together and we were like just thick as thieves. The moment we met each other, we were such close mm -hmm. friends. We had so – we were just laughing and being silly and irreverent. And, and uh, so he put up a beat on the desk and said – you know, can you write something over this? And because I knew that he had loved a song of mine called Little Prince, I just played the same chords as Little Prince, um, maybe leaving more space between them or something, but it was basically the same intervals and changes, which became Don't Leave. Okay. Next day we were laying it down in the big posh studio, all the label come in. Um, and they're saying to Rollo, they're bossing him around because like Faithless was a stupid idea. In those days, you didn't mix styles of music on one album because they're in the record shops, they rack house music over here, hip hop over there, pop mm -hmm. over here. They're going, Rollo, you, you know, look, if you're going to do this thing where you're mixing house music and hip hop and so pop songs and ballads, it's, it's a disaster for our marketing. You know, you better, we're going to have to have pictures. Who's the band? Who are we? We need a story. Who are these people? And he goes, all right, all right, all right. It's me. Jamie, Sister Bliss, and Maxi. And like before I knew it, I had a record deal. Like no one had even asked me. Um, and then and you off, were a dad. <laughs> yeah. Dave, were... Babies bring the next level, actually, you might find. If... So, yeah, then Faithless was underway. And then it's funny how it happens. You know, it's like, you know, you do all your work over here, but then the breakthrough comes over there from a totally unexpected. You have to be open that the breakthrough always comes. I was taught, I teach this in the creative workshops. It's like, it's such a mystery. You just got to keep at it. Like the first year of Faithless, we did no business. Uh, I think we sold less than 5,000 albums globally. And, and that was what everyone predicted. Um, and then you had this breakthrough in Germany. But then, yeah, then incredibly, the wonderful gay people of Munich yep. <laughs> decided that Insomnia was their song for the love parade. 
and it just went number one or number two everywhere swept europe starting in germany and then suddenly we were massive and carried on being massive for ages oh so, i mean it's such a great song i mean still gets me dancing <laughs> i had nothing to do with it but yeah <laughs> you had nothing to do with it i was in the room you were part of the magic well, I mean, what happened was, again, you know, it's always the thing you don't expect. The album was totally finished and mastered. And just at the last minute, Rollo rang the band and said, you know, we need another fast track for side two. And everyone was like, oh, he goes, come on, come into the studio Saturday morning. We'll knock something out really quickly. And everyone was like, oh, okay. And came in and was like, okay, what should we do? And Sister Bliss goes, well, I really, I've just been having those terrible, like, I haven't been sleeping well at all lately. Oh, my goodness. I've got the most awful insomnia. And... Rollo goes, great, that's the starting point, let's do that. Maxi goes into the booth, a beat goes on, he goes, I can't get no sleep. No one at this point is connecting that to dance music or nightclubs or there's, no, there's not a thought in the world, like it's like totally random. She plays, she has a habit, a, a, a kind of a practice of playing playing it out that night whenever we've done a track of to, to see what happens on the dance floor, to test it out. It was like one in the morning, so, you know, and then so she starts playing it and there's Maxie's voice coming out of this massive club going, it's one o'clock in the morning, no I can't get no sleep. And you see like 300 people's eyes roll back on E and everyone suddenly got the connection. <laughs> wow. But again, by accident. Accidentally. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, I can imagine it wasn't something you were part of Faithless thinking, you know, I'm spiritually going to awaken people through this writing of this music or did you still have well, that? Well, not exactly. I mean, yeah. there was never intention. It's just what was coming through. There was never yeah. and, and yeah. never has been, apart from with the Ramdas film. There's, there's never been, the film, like One Giant Leap, it did do a lot of awakening, but it wasn't done to awaken everyone. It was mm -hmm. done because it was the most exciting expression of what was most fun to be an artist and a filmmaker with me and Duncan. You know, like it was, it was done selfishly. This is what was turning us on, these kind of subjects, and wanting to discuss them with the world about the masks we wear or our insatiability or our shadows or our yep. where does inspiration come from. These are kind of subjects that we were passionate about. But I've never done anything to wake everyone up. Um, I just want, it's more like a bid for intimacy that I want to say, hey, I'm interested in this. Hey, to come talk to me about it. Like, and I want everyone to go, yeah, me too. Let's talk about this. It's more about wanting to feel connected to everyone and, and making a bid for intimacy than it is about to sort of benevolently... Be a guru and awaken. Yeah. But then when you're making it, you go, oh, wow, this is going to blow people away. You know, this is really going to have a positive impact. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's kind of what comes through while you're doing it. But it, it's very rarely the impulse. I mean, with the Ramdas film Becoming Nobody, the, the impulse was I want to make the definitive film about him that, that anyone that doesn't know him or is interested in him can come and get the hit from him and be like, get the incredible transmission. And once you make something, it's like a bottle of medicine that lasts forever. Uh, I want to make the thing that is going to, you know, have as big a positive impact, I guess, as possible. But it sounds much more benevolent than it is. Mm. It sounds more generous than it is. It's more like for my own enjoyment my own selfish ends i want to send this thing into the world and see it have a good effect yeah no i understand and um i want to come to the um becoming nobody because I, I have watched it and and i have so much admiration for ramdas and all that he shares um but with one one giant leap how did you and duncan dream up this or have this vision to <laughs> Was it over, you 
basically he showed up at my house because my lodger was away that weekend and had lent his room to Duncan. Okay. Who I didn't know. We got chatting that we're both musicians. We had a lot of synchronicity that we both loved the same music, particularly two albums that we absolutely loved that were quite obscure. One was The Passion Passion by Peter Gabriel, The Music for the Last Temptation of Christ yep. by Scorsese, the film score for that. And this book, this uh, album by David Byrne and Brian Eno called My Life in the Bush of Ghosts. So we were like quite blown away that the other one was Talking so into heads. those two albums. Yeah? Talking Heads. Hey? Talking Heads. Is that the last well, one? Well, no, it was David Byrne. David Byrne is Talking Heads, but right. it was a kind of side project with Brian okay. Eno. After Talking Heads had finished the Remain in Light album, Brian Eno and David Byrne stayed behind afterwards with all the offcuts and made something else. Okay. Uh, called My Life in the Bush of Goats, which is an extraordinary record. Mm. Um, and so we were both like, we had a beer, we both had a similar bee in our bonnet that we couldn't understand. We both loved the, the players and instrumentalists of what was then called world music. But we were also kind of dismayed in a slightly white privilege, superior way about how none of these great world music artists, that their albums always sounded pretty crap to us. Like, you know, they were amazing singers, amazing players, but their records just did not sound good. Why? You know, we were like, surely there must be a way to make music where these, where you get how great Baba Mal is, where you get how great Asha Bosley is, Harry Prasad, Shirazia, Mandolin, Shrinvas, the drummers of blah, blah, blah. You know, there must be a way to make music where you can really hear how fucking great these things are. It's never been done. So he was like, well, come to my studio. I'm in London, you know, da, 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 da. So I went over there and within two hours, we'd come up with something that just sounded amazing <laughs> mm. um, by cobbling together different samples and bits we lifted from other CDs and big airy pads and hip hop beats. And that same day, which was the first day me and Duncan were ever in the studio, I went home and it was my eldest daughter's second birthday. Okay. And so the house was full of all these like mums and babies and toddlers. It was like chaos. And so I went up and a friend of mine was there who I hadn't seen for a while. And she, I, I said, you've got to come up, come up to my room and listen to this thing we just did today. It was, it's fantastic. So I go up and I sort of put it on the cassette machine or whatever it was in those days. And as I press play, there's a knock on my bedroom door and some woman who's part of the mayhem comes in with her baby and goes, sorry, it's just chaos out here. Would you mind if I changed a nappy in here? I'm like, yeah, yeah, fine, do it on the bed over there. I'm kind of ignoring her, like wanting to play my friend this bit of music. So I'm playing it. And as I'm playing it, the woman goes, what is this piece of music? Mm. I'm like, oh, thanks. It's like something we started today. We we're really passionate about this idea of da 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 She goes, oh, well, I'm the head commissioning editor for Sky Television. And we need a bit of music like this for this new show we're doing called Earth Undercover but we need it now. Like, could we send a bike and you put it on a dat and we use it like tomorrow on TV? And we're like, I'm like, yeah, I mm. call Duncan. He gets it already. Now suddenly with the title music for earth undercover, this eco sky TV show, then they have a documentary they need to finish, but they can't do the music in LA. So a week later they fly me and Duncan to LA to do the film score for a film called dying to tell the story, which is about this very young journalist called Dan Eldon, who sadly got stoned to death. Um, and was an inspiration to all these people. And hmm. then a management company heard 
Robbie Williams's management company heard it and played it to Chris Blackwell, who signed Bob Marley and U2, who also coincidentally managed Baba Mal, the Senegalese prophet singer, and they said, we want this. It all happened very quickly. And then um, they, they said, there's this new thing coming out called yeah. DVD. And we are a DVD company. We're called Palm Pictures now. We're not called Island Records anymore. And so you're going to have to come up with some sort of a film that goes with this music. And so we went and had lunch. And we came back and we said, look, we want to travel all around the world and plug in all the musicians so they can all hear all the other musicians and film them. But just plugging in musicians isn't a very interesting film. So what we were thinking was is that we could allocate every single one of the pieces of music a philosophical theme. So one of the music pieces of music would be death, one will be God, one will be time, one will be sex, you know. And we can interview all our favorite authors and spiritual people and people in the street and whoever we think is interesting and cut together what everybody says about that subject with all the musicians playing and make some amazing global conversation about blah, blah, blah. And they were like, great, do that. And we were sort of, well, how much, how much could we spend on that? And in typical classy Chris Blackwell style, he says, well, we've never done anything like this before. Nobody has. So just call us when you need more money. So we just set off around the world yeah. and everywhere we landed, we were like, we've run out of money. They sent another five grand and we just carried on. We did it for the cost of a pop video, you know, the whole thing. But um, we had the most amazing six months journey around the world, which were all the inspiration just fell in our lap, you know, like the amount of luck and synchronicity ending up in Michael Stipe from REM's back garden, writing the great love the way you dream song. One of my and then right at the end, <laughs> right at the end, just before it was finished, Robbie Williams said to his manager, because he heard it in the, when he came in for a meeting, he's like, why didn't they ask me? They've got, they've asked Michael Stipe. They've asked, you know, Santana. They've asked, why, why am I not on this? And so like, we got a call saying Robbie wants to do it too. And we were like, great. We went round to his front room and, we were like, how did this happen? One conversation about how we like world music and we're in Robbie Williams's front room. It was so weird. And in fact, the making of movie of that album and that whole journey is called What Are We Doing in Robbie Williams's Front Room? <laughs> so yeah, that, that became that. And uh, it became quite a cult thing. We got nominated for a couple of Grammys. Grammy and, Awards, yeah, nominations for Grammys. And how, you and know. All kinds you of other things. Yeah. It just kind of, yeah, it became a bit of a cult thing still is actually in a way I mean, it funny, still but... is people ask me what is your favorite movie i say one giant leap and blade runner <laughs> so... oh wow blade runner is mine too oh yeah actually, the, the soundtrack yeah isn't it the original i'm talking the original right yeah yeah amazing yeah. when people ask me your movie and yeah blade runner is my is my answer <laughs> so... Oh, i'm so glad to hear that it's kind of funny not the biggest usually girl answer uh, but yeah, not, I'm I, not I, a usual. You know, I'm not a usual girl answer person. <laughs> okay, noted. Yes, I wanted to just because were you able to breathe all that in? And one of the other things I heard you mention was you were. I love this because you just remind me of me. I'm such a visionary. I have so many ideas. I've done so many different things. Um, I'm in my late 40s now, and I've you know worn so many different hats. Um, 
when you said that you had an idea for a TV show, was it? Worlds World Collide or World Collide. Wow, you and have done your research. I have. And um and was it Brian that you wrote a letter to and he gave you that feedback that helped you when you were thinking about one giant leap? Yeah, David Byrne actually. Yes. Was. Sorry, David Byrne. Yeah. Um I love that moment because it's another reminder of how, you know, even though that may have been rejection that may have hit you, it was a piece of the jigsaw. You transcended and were able to create, yeah. Yeah, he said what I just said actually in my last answer was it's not interesting just to go around plugging in instruments. It won't make a very interesting film. So when we were coming up with One Giant Leap, that's, that's why I said we need something more. Yeah. Interviews with Kurt Vonnegut, Tom Robbins, Dennis Hopper, whoever else, Ramdas. Eckhart Tolle, you know, we need to we need to bring in another element that makes it. And I wouldn't have known that if David Byrne hadn't on the last project said, I'm not going to do your project and this is why. Yeah. Um I love that. So, yeah. I just love yeah, that. No, exactly. Yeah. I'm a really big believer in um to be a successful creator, I think one of the fundamental things everyone has to do is reevaluate or reframe your relationship to the word no mm. uh, there's a great spiritual teacher called bashar who is a channel i mean it's so good his stuff you're willing to overlook that he's an alien in a spaceship about above mount shasta channeling through someone in the valley it's such good stuff bashar.org bashar yeah and one of the things he says is redefine the phrase roadblock mm. a roadblock is an arrow pointing in an unexpected direction I didn't realize I needed to go in. Mm. You've really got to trust the no. You know, like in One Giant Leap, we asked everyone. Bob Dylan said no. Woody Allen said no. Paul Simon said no. Millions of people said no. But if you just ignore all the no's and just keep asking, out of 100, you know, 100 asks, 15 at least will say yes. Kurt Vonnegut said yes. Tom Robbins, the great beat author, said yes. Yep. Santana said yes. Alanis Morissette said yes. Michael Stipe said yes. Robbie Williams said yes. Yep. So many, yep. Gabriel Roth, so many incredible beings populate that film and that album. Um, but they never would have if I was precious about hearing the answer no. If I was took a no as a knockback rather than God saying, don't rattle a locked door. Mm. Same in relationships. Yeah. Don't rattle a locked door. If it's if it's not your door, if it's your door, it'll open. What is I meant mean, for you? Have a bit you? of perseverance. Give it a bit of a rattle. Don't. I mean, <laughs> I love a bit of perseverance, saying, but don't yeah. don't keep at it. You know, if it's a no, move to the next door. There's if you're okay with the answer, no. There's a whole banquet of yeses awaiting you. Yeah. What is meant for you is for you. You have to act as if that's true, mm. even if that's not true. You're going to have a more efficient, less stressful, more creative life believing that's true. It almost doesn't matter if it's true or not. It's like it almost doesn't matter if being positive and looking at all your adversity as a lesson, as some sort of a training, as some sort of alchemy. Maybe the spirits are sending it as curriculum and alchemy to you, but even if they're not, you're still going to have a more creative and positive and fruitful life acting as if that's true. Mm. So it doesn't in a way matter whether it's woo-woo or not. If you look at the, the adversity in your life as, I mean, I have a thing in my workshops, we ask what we call the unpretentiously named five golden keys of alchemy. I've written them so, down. I, they're precious. Right. 
Can you so share that with everyone? Huh? There's the five questions you ask when a situation comes up, isn't it? They're brilliant. Yes. Oh. And it always just makes it into some sort of a harvest. Can now, you share, maybe, yeah, can you share a little bit with the listeners? Or we, I know it's quite yeah, a yeah. Lot so when anything difficult happens, we go internal first of all. Just first of all, try and forget about the external thing that just happened for a minute. Who was wrong? Why this is unfair? You know, just try and just for a minute, just disconnect from the external. Go internal. Feel in the body where it hurts or where it feels stressed or where is activated through whatever's happening that you don't like and we ask that place in the body questions and listen for the answers so it's not asking the question with our yang mind going i will solve this in a linear way if you can i mean you can't sometimes help it but if you can possibly ask the question in a curious spacious listening way to listen for the answers rather than come up with the answers that's ideal not everyone can do it it takes a bit of practice but but letting the five questions hang in space, the first question we ask is, if this situation, if I had set this situation up as a training and then forgot about it, what was I trying to show myself? Um, the second question is, how is it a reminder for me to self-care in some way that I've forgotten to or neglected to? The third one is, how is what's happening an invitation for me to show up more, be more visible, more <laughs> honest, maybe more vulnerable? The fourth question is, how does it hurt more because of my painful past? And the fifth question is, um, through all of this, what are the gifts I what can share with others? The services you can give to others, yeah. Yeah, because so much of what people go through, particularly things like panic attacks. Um, or domestic violence. Really difficult or, things. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're empathy training. You know, I expect pretty much everyone that I deal with one-on-one -on -one, to become a some sort of a helper healer space holder you know if you know what hell smells like you can really be there for somebody else mm -hmm. not to talk them out of their pain but to really you know you have empathy so so much of what we go through is empathy training and the world needs space holders at the moment it needs listeners yeah. um, and that's why the most brilliant thing i've ever done which is what i'm loving so much at the moment and i just can't tell you how much i love them is my I've started a teacher training which is the Jamie Cato school for the insanely gifted and it's called bring it and I have like 30 new teachers who I'm teaching how to teach how I teach and teach my games and teach how I make my games to make their own games and be a leader or a healer or a clown or a space holder in your unique way not to be just like me but to be just like you yeah and um it's the best thing I've ever done because every one of them is going to go out now and reach lots of people. So it's, it, it exponentially widens the field of playful awakening and tenderness and intimacy and self-care. Um, so yeah, the next Bring It training starts in 2021. And I just can't get enough of it. I'm just in love with them. Mm. Yeah, it's I mean, you're taking, gang. Me, you're taking me on a tangent now because I actually wanted to go next to this passion you have for yin energy rather than the yang energy and i even heard that you well i was listening that you had this um vision of adam and eve yeah yes that's two <laughs> different things the so yin you can, thing you can take over but how you how you you know you relate to mother earth and what is happening externally you know if we point the arrow back if we practice more of spaciousness and receptiveness um especially the masculine. This is another passion of yours, yeah? 
No, yeah, we all have been trained in our yang, boys and girls. Do things, use our will, control life, penetrate the world, make it how we want, learn the thing, get the exam, get to the end. Very linear. And that's how everybody operates. Um, and we're not taught so much the other half of us, which is the yin half, which is receptive, which is impacted by the world. A great idea pops into your head with the space around, the curiosity, the listening, the being moved by the beat. And it's less controlled, so people are less willing usually to let that be the the leader. Um, but actually, that's where all the treasure of life comes from. It's by when you write a song, it appears and you hear a song. You don't think up a song. And in parenting our kids, it's by listening and responding to what the kid wants and being sensitive to the kid that we get how it wants to thrive. And it's the listening that, that directs the doing. And in sexuality as well, it's by being so sensitive to who you're with and every smell, every curve, every sound, every wave of energy, by being so tuned into them, you will naturally be moved to commune sexually in the most connected and beautiful lovemaking way. When we're in the yang, we're doing things on purpose and it, it's like it's very limited. To get to the end result. <laughs> yeah. So the yin really is where all the treasure is. So for me, the yang is important. It's not like yin instead of yang. It's yang at the service of the yin. So the yin comes first. The yin listens and goes, this is true. We need to go over there. And then says to the yang, pack up the car and lead us over there. The yang does the doing at the behest of the yin's transmission. So Mm -hmm. we stop, we listen, we feel, we find out truly what we're in alignment with. And then the yang comes in and acts and takes action on that. So the yang is the servant to the yin for me. And that's so often people think of the yang as the masculine and the yin as the feminine. So the masculine at the service to the feminine, I think the world would be a better place Mm. um, if that was played out more like it does. It works quite well in the home. Um, It's, you know, male leadership doesn't have to mean destination choosing. They're not the same thing. So like the destination choosing can be the feminine who's more connected often. Not always. I don't want to get to a gender thing, you know, don't be too heteronormal. But often the woman is more kind of tuned in to, hey, we need to go over there, darling. And then the yang, masculine, can lead, do the male leadership and lead everyone on the material plane over there and manifest it for everybody or with everybody. Um, and I think that the state of the planet in is in is very much more like the yang trying to do something before the yin has thought it's a good idea. And I need, I need that hit. I need that feminine. Well, if you're not going to give it to me, I'm going to drag it out of the ground. I'm going to... Take it without asking. I'm going to force you to give it to me if you won't give it to me willingly. I'd rather you gave it to me willingly, but if you're not going to give it that feminine radiance to me willingly, as a as a masculine, the masculine is addicted, I believe, to a kind of feminine radiance. It's not it's not a two way street. There's a kind of one way thing where the women transmit something. They have something that the men need, and. That's why it's been commodified all over the world. It's what runs marketing. The female body, the female sexuality, the female radiance is what makes the whole economy system run. Um, The woman's yes from Salome in the Bible, ending up with cutting off the head of John the Baptist, all the way, you know, men will do anything for the female radiance and they will, if they can't get it, they will either take it by force or they will become drug addicts or porn addicts, or whatever low-grade hit they can get that's the closest thing to it. Our society doesn't like to talk about men's addiction to female radiance, but that's kind of the source, I believe, of pretty much a huge amount of the problems on the planet. 
Addiction. And, um, yeah. Yeah, that we don't know how to often, we haven't been trained on how to get it willingly, how to meet you and make it reciprocal. And, you know, so that's why the pollution and the dragging all the minerals out the ground and the species disappearing is like, is a big part of that. And so, yeah, one of the next projects which we're looking for the next production house backer for is Adam and Eve, which is to bring all that back into balance. I don't want to get rid of the yang or make the yang wrong. I just want to bring the yin back into equal importance so that it, so that everyone that sees the film, we heal the male and female wound on the planet so that everybody who sees the film comes out of the cinema and the men look at the women and the women look at the men and everyone goes, fuck this enough yeah. let's heal all of this trauma and step into our power and co-creativity together it's time imagine what we could do if we weren't enemies imagine what we could do if we could heal the amount of trauma that's come in the past we can't do it quickly you know like it's like in south africa they had to have truth and reparations you can't just pretend you know i have a group called the order of the sacred woodsman and you know i, I do my best to to seed these concepts with the men and and there is a beautiful generation of men who are just a aching to reconnect with the women. There is, yeah. But you can't lead all the men back to the women when we've skipped the step of all the healing of all the abuse on yeah. both sides, but mainly men towards women. But there, of course, has been emotional abuse and other abuse towards men. It's not totally one way, but it's not even. And until that is a bit more healed, you can't just expect all the women to go, yes, men, we trust you. You know, like there needs to be steps of healing first, which is I want with the Adam and Eve movie to send these packages around the world of what the games we do on the intimacy workshop, where we all sit opposite each other and we talk mm. and listen, especially. I mean, I hope that this comes through because it's such an important message and definitely something I'm very passionate about. Where, how did you get to get more in touch with your feminine side and, and be sharing all these intimacy workshops and, you know, was there some, some mentor that inspired you? I mean, we haven't gone on to Ram Dass and, and how you met him through, was it Naked? Yeah, I don't really know. I just, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I'm just going to give you that answer. I don't know. Yeah. I just, it arose from everything that was going on from my own necessity to, you know, all the evolving I've done has been unwilling. Mm. You know, I don't show up for stuff because it's going to evolve me. I get into a fucking pickle and I'm dragged backwards through it and I have to scrabble my way somehow, discover some way to just survive. That's like how I evolve. Yeah. Um, and through doing that and through exploring with One Giant Leap and the workshops, you know, where does inspiration come from? How can we tap into that joyful flow state where it does it itself and we're just a channel, we're a passenger for the big spirit. For the, yeah. it, it is discovered that, wow, we are being moved by the beat. You know, like that's why some people are like, God, I couldn't live without my dancing every week because it's the only time they're yin. When you're dancing to the beat, the beat's moving you, the beat's the yang, you're the yin. And it's such a relief. Most of the time everyone's yang, 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 doing this, controlling that, getting to the meeting, picking up the kids, earning the money, right. you know, having to be... <laughs> Yeah, breathing, oh, it's exhausting. So thankfully dancing is one of the places people can let that go and be moved, be the subject, be the object, not the subject, be the be moved. Mm. 
You must have always so been a sensitive masculine, like it sounds. Yeah, like I have been too age. sensitive in a way. It's been yeah. quite tough. It's been quite tough, you know. Like, yeah, I still am. I take things to heart, you know. I, I can get, I can, I can create an anxious catastrophe mm. out of nothing, and I'm here as the adult watching it happen. It's not like I'm not knowing it. It's like there's a there's a being that lives in me that is just catastrophizing like a fucking lunatic, mm -hmm. and harnessing the body chemicals and sending cortisol and adrenaline through my system. And I'm there, the adult, going, "All right, mate." All right, mate. It's all yeah. good, yeah. but you've still got to sit there while the chemicals course around your spleen, you know, and like do the breathing. And but you know these crazy wounded characters inside us who think that they're bodyguards—they think they're protecting us. They're not just doing it because they're reenacting a trauma. They're doing it because it's their best shot. They think with their conclusions to protect us. Talking about they, I love what you you wrote on. Um on your social media, it's quite an art to neither be dismissive nor hooked in, but to notice them and stay loving and awake. Yeah. Most people are like, oh, no, no, I don't want this. I don't want any edgy feelings. I don't want any discomfort. Go away, go away. I need to get a session. I need to get a Xanax. I need to get a... So they're pushing it away. Mm. But also you don't want to be so identified with them that you make their truth your truth. You have to kind of stand next to them. The humans, you know, we have a very good quality of being able to split our consciousness in two. Okay. We have the ability to watch ourselves. We have the ability to witness ourselves. Not always, because when a big wave hits us, often that witnessing ability goes to sleep and we're just desperate. But if you can cultivate the ability to watch yourself, and that's why people meditate, to be able to cultivate the muscle that can watch the melodrama. So if you can cultivate the muscle of just spending a little time every day or any time you're getting in a pickle, noticing your thoughts, noticing your negative self-talk, noticing your, your negative, addictive, pessimistic, whatever, thoughts, and watch it through loving eyes. That's the trick. Like Ramdas says, Ramdas distilled his whole life's work down to the four words, I am loving awareness. It's not just I am awareness. It's not enough to notice it. Because if you notice it, but you're not loving about it, you are going, oh, I'm not spiritual enough. Oh, I'm such a mess. Oh, I'm so, you know, you start using your slave driver jumps in and start screwing up the process. I had a cigarette. I ate chocolate. I didn't do yoga this morning. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. you can't do it in the judgmental way. It's got to be loving. And so we do games on my workshops where we work with the slave driver and transform it. Okay. But if you do it through loving awareness, then you find every failure more adorable than the last so every time you slip up or you fuck up or whatever you're just like oh you're all right in there you're adorable you find everyone more adorable than the last um, and if you can find it adorable like you're looking after a little child who's never going to get better you take away all agenda for improvement and the mantra i use is oh how human of me i like that yeah it's so human to keep getting it wrong and keep being worried. We've got every reason to be worried. Look at the childhoods we had. We all grew up in borderline abusive childhoods by today's standards. Um, it's all right. It's very human that you feel anxious. It's very human that you get angry sometimes. It's very human that you feel despondent and just don't know where you are and what you should be doing. It's very, very human. It's just not surprising given where you've been. Mm. You give yourself a break. Start with allowing it to be this screwed up. Then there's, you know, allow yourself in a loving way to be a mess. Then there's a journey out of the mess. But if you're constantly going, I shouldn't be in the mess, I shouldn't be in the mess, you're slippering and floundering in a muddy puddle. First of all, just stand in the muddy puddle still. Yeah. I'm in a muddy puddle. Okay, I can, stay, I can walk out of it that way. 
But if we're constantly floundering around saying, I shouldn't be in this muddy puddle, it's just you just slip on your ass over and over again. It's okay. We're very, very human. We're very, very messed up. We've got good reason to have these challenges. You know, and we were given very weird programming when we were little. We had love pulled away from us when we didn't obey the people looking after us. So suddenly we became approval addicts um, because it was given and taken away and given and taken away and given and taken away. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing that we've reached this place in one piece with a lovely smile on our face. Yeah, totally. So we've got to find our, our so-called failures adorable. Start treating yourself. You know, if, if, if people ask me often on interviews, what's one thing you would say to everybody to remember? And the one thing I say to everyone is like, if you're going to do one thing, really, 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 really watch your self-talk. If you're going to do and nothing else, really watch your self-talk and see if you can adjust it to being a little bit less negative. Mm. It is definitely something that many of us are struggling with that mind chatter and all the different characters that play out and Often, you know, I love one of the things you said when that point the arrow towards inwards and often when we're noticing abuse on the outside or someone is treating us badly, it can often be a reflection of our own self-abuse that we're doing with just our, our thoughts, right? I totally think that. Like often people treat us in the way that our, it matches our self-talk. Yeah. Like. I, I, I actually, yeah, I actually, um, I share quite vulnerably, I came out of a, an abusive marriage of 18 years and I was able to come to a place of forgiveness of that situation and I often say to women of you know domestic violence that there's something within us that is attracting that abuse on the external and so if you're able to look within yourself and come back to you know the, the parts of you that were broken that were reflecting that picture on the outside then you're able to come to come to a place of peace with it. And yeah, is there, any part of you thinks, yeah. is there any part of you inside that no matter how small that thinks you kind of deserve it? Yeah. Not that you do deserve it, but is there a little one who lives in there that just got used to that kind of treatment in a different way earlier and kind of expects it or has normalized it? Because mm. you become numb to that behavior and often, you know, women or men stay in that, that loop of that pattern um, because it becomes the norm for them. That's, you know, it's okay because it, it's like a wave, you know, you treated badly, then you treated well. And, and um, until you, you catch that and you learn that that pattern within you has to change, you know, or that reaction within you, isn't it? And putting some love towards it and tenderness. Yeah. Yeah. It's a journey to heal the trauma. Um, what, because we're, we're in this unusual worldwide experience at the moment. And I'm sure you went from traveling around and now you're at more of a standstill. What fills your bowl? Like what feeds your soul at the moment? Um, I have a practice called the secret of the eight bowls. So like, you know, I have my, I encourage everyone to spread their bets across eight things that fulfill them. And I guess I'll, I always forget one of them, but. I did not know that. So. <laughs> Why don't you say fill your bowl? I thought, wow, she really has done her, process, her, her um, <laughs> research. Yeah, I have a practice called the eight bowls where I, I say find eight things which put you to bed with a smile on your face and make oh. sure those bowls are tended to. So one is okay. time with my kids when we're not on screens. One is looking after my body and my house, you know, like um, eating well, making sure 
I move a bit or, you know, do the laundry or, you know, body and home care. Mm-hmm. One is my spiritual journey in the sense of my evolutionary, like being punked by my angels and being shown stuff and how benevolently, abundantly I'm treated and guided and looked after and protected, that whole kind of part of my life. Helping people, being helpful is a huge one. Mm-hmm. Being of service in some way, making somebody else's life better or being useful or helpful to somebody who's in a pickle. Being creatively productive, you know, writing a blog or a song or mm-hmm. finishing a film or starting a new thing, you know, a creative output thing. Time alone and in nature, which is one of the bowls I often don't tend to enough. It's one of the ones that often slips by the wayside. My love of film, music and literature, which could be three bowls, but I've put them into one. Um, and friendship, mm. I guess it probably should be the first bowl. Um, so those are the eight bowls. The reason I invented those eight bowls for myself was it, it had to be the eight bowls that weren't relationship. I was going to say, because you, you didn't, sorry, you didn't mention intimacy or sex. I know because yes. it was the, that is a big one, but it's like, the, it was the eight bowls. The original exercise was what if I got that isn't that because I yes. would put too much, I would put everything in the intimacy and sex bowl. And if everything was good with my girlfriend, life was good. And if things were stressy with my girlfriend, life was stressy and it just dictated everything. So I said, okay, what are the eight bowls that are apart from that, that, you can feed so that that ninth bowl doesn't dominate life. Mm. But of course, yeah, intimacy, sexuality, my wonderful girlfriend who's Australian. um, And um, she also is very much educating me in about deep ecology, both as people and as a planet. And Mm -hmm. yeah, she's amazing. Um, So yeah, intimacy and sexuality is huge, but what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to spread the energy so that it's, it's not like a addiction. It's not like it, it, it rules the show. Cause I, I get so kind of like hooked in that um, all the other ones tend to then suddenly fade and I need to create more equality through those things to be more sovereign, to really have myself. And I think it's, you know, when we are in a, in a union that is a balance and a relationship, when I say union, I mean a relationship that's of balance, it's when we are whole and all our bowls are full, then we're able to meet that partner in in a place of wholeness. Yeah. And I go in and out of wholeness. I'm sure you do. So do I. I. be in wholeness <laughs> and then one stray comment or one something and I'm like anxious again, you know, like yeah, the chemicals, so they, they, they're on such a hair trigger. Uh, but but you have... Like, but Jamie, you have the tools now of how, like I always, one of the things I say is, of course, I still feel anxious. Of, st- of course, I still worry, but I have the tools now of how to bring myself back to alignment. Gradually, yeah. It can take a whole day though sometimes, you know. Well, for me, you know, but- it's like I have to go put my feet in the ocean and I, and I have to, like, I, I'm quite disciplined because of all the anxiety I've had is I, I, and, and it's not, yeah, I don't know if it's in a yang way. I, I'm, you can tell me, but I like to wake up and do my mindfulness practice or my meditation. Yeah. And I find when I miss that, even if it's five minutes to half an hour, there's no restriction on, on how long it has to be. But when I connect with that spirit and, you know, open all my chakras and I come into that space, then 
anything that comes up, I'm, I sort of know which way to get back to centre. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, that's yeah. the way. Do you have any tools that you, you know, you tap into? Moving the body. Yeah, you know, stop I love dance. Get up, cold water on the face, jiggle yeah. around a bit. You know, look out the window, open, you know, like, I can sometimes wake up already in anxiety and it, there's the, sometimes I want to curl up in a ball and wiggle my ankle and just not move. And that's the worst thing for it. You know, get moving, chat to a friend, just kind of get the energy moving yeah. and then yeah. it starts, you know, because a lot of this stuff is stagnation. Yeah. Totally. Drink water, make sure you're hydrated. Someone I was working with said, and I think quite correctly, that a third of all depression is dehydration. Yeah. Who was that? Um, Jim Carrey was saying. He also said, yeah, yes. something similar. He said, look, <laughs> yes. I'm not saying depression doesn't exist, yeah. but if you're not drinking water, staying hydrated, eating good food, moving your body and getting into nature, you're not giving yourself a fighting chance. Exactly. I love that. Brilliantly said. Yeah. What a fucking killer me. I killer know. Me. I love so it. So true. <laughs> I love yeah. that. Now I'm going to have a bit of a wiggle when I get off this call. Yeah, we need to move. I want to finish up with, and you've got a lot of workshops coming up. So this is where your intention is. So I'd love to give some attention to that. I love one of your clients that wrote from working with you, something burst open as if a knot in a garden hose had been removed and my love, creativity and inspiration came bursting out of me. I love that. I love it. It's like that. It's like, it's already there. You don't need to go and find your inspiration. It's mm. like a kink in a hose. It's there waiting to come through. All you have to do is be willing to unkink the hose and it comes. It's, it's, it's like the, the plant growing up through the concrete. It's unstoppable. You know, like yeah. Michelangelo said, I say this in my book, Insanely Gifted, you know, that when he got brought the rock, he could see the sculpture already inside the rock. He just had to move the excess rock out of the way. Mm. We're in the rock dissolving business. You don't need to come and find your intimacy. You don't need to find your creativity. You don't need to find your inspiration. It's all there. The angels, the guides, the creative spirits, they're all waiting. All you have to do is turn towards them and to be turn. willing to let the thing yeah. in the way dissolve a bit. Mm. There's nothing to create, nothing to find. There's just sweeping and dissolving to do so that it can come through. It's just like cleaning the windscreen. Mm. And it's about moving in rather than resisting and turning towards, being willing to be a human that is willing. The key of it all is I am a human who's willing to feel some of my edgy feelings. If I'm constantly looking at every uncomfortable feeling as wrong, if I'm constantly looking at every uncomfortable feeling as I need to get rid of this, you're, it's, there's no hope. But if you're like looking at uncomfortable feelings as messengers, as opportunities to breathe and love yourself and let the body's incredible plumbing system recalibrate it, Mm. then it cleans itself quite quickly, but you've mm. got to be willing to turn towards it. And it doesn't have to be a big trauma. The way we do it on the workshops, we're pissing ourselves laughing all the way through. I love how you explain that because, you, you know, it, it doesn't have to be work. It can sometimes be removing things that are joyful or Lovely. And expanding it. Yeah. yeah. It's so intimate being all a bit crazy together and laughing at our neurosis and, oh, you too, oh, my God. It's such a relief that you're part of the crazy gang, you know? Yeah. So you've got these workshops, you've, you've got quite a few coming up. And the one that's very soon, what about my Christmas presents? Yeah, presents <laughs> with a C. Yes. Just so 
that's just mainly about family members. It doesn't have to be for Christmas. It's just that's when a lot of family stuff comes up. But it's about reframing your family relationships and your problem with your dad or your mom or your brother or your cousin or and also your relationship with being a good girl or being a good boy. Um, and also it has a spiritual, you know, it has a sweet component of of the real gifts, <clears throat> not the gifts that are wrapped up under the tree, but the gifts that we really want to bestow from our hearts to the people who are suffering in our community yeah. or in, as in transmitting a field of peace, actually being it, you know, it's got some lovely components in it. Um, then there's transforming shadows. There's insanely yes. gifted transforming shadows is turning our demons into employees and insanely gifted is more, the thing we were talking about before about entering the flow state, how to yeah. access that flow state, that flow of creativity, that flow of peace more directly, quicker, without having to do 25 years sitting in a cave in the Himalayas. And I'm hopefully coming to Australia. In when? So, so your partner's from Australia? Yeah. Okay. And I'm hopefully coming over in March, April. I'm, and if COVID allows, I'll do some events in, in Malam or something. Okay. Wonderful. Well, we look forward to that and we'll support you in any way we can. And Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for saying yes. And it was around like eight years ago I was introduced to you um, to do an event in Sydney and it, we, never, we never followed through with it. So oh, it's beautiful to get to speak time. to you now. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll do yeah. Sydney in April. We will. I think we will. <laughs> okay. Bring it on. So lovely to connect with you at last. Thank you so much for being on One Space Love podcast. Thanks for having me.